the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 168 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time recording 11.07 a.m. on November 17th, 2019. Joining me today, I have Daniel Bear. Good morning. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Lauren LaMagna. Hello, hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hello. Wow. And me. Oh, and, and and Bianca. Sorry, I. You know what it was? I didn't see your icon up on the thing there, and I was just going down the down the row. So sorry, Bianca. You're here. I am. I'm always here. Yeah. <laughs> the overriding presence over us all. All right, everyone. So for episode 168, uh, this is this is it. Like we've been talking about it, talking about it, and talking about it. But now, with AFI currently happening as we speak, the final film festival stop of the season. The final premieres of the season also in terms of uh, this within this next week, the world will have seen. Um, obviously, at this point, people have seen Little Women. People have seen Bombshell. But uh, now they will have seen movies like Queen and Slim, Richard Jewell, and 1917. So when we come back next week, uh, we'll know everything pretty much except for Cats and Star Wars. So by that point... We'll have a pretty good idea of where things are heading. Also, too, this week on November 21st, uh, we will get the Independent Spirit Award nominations. And then kind of after that, it's all going to just kind of just snowball in down the hill, bigger and bigger as it goes. Uh, Because once we head into December, man, oh, man, you just can't stop it once it starts coming. The amount of film critics, nominations and awards and the guilds and such, um, especially in this condensed, packed year, it's really going to be overwhelming. Luckily, we have a page up on nextbestpicture.com called the awards calendar for the 2019 awards season with all the important dates listed there so you can head on over and check it out. But first, for this week, what I want to start off with before we get into what's going on in the awards season, I want to actually uh, just go over really quick and ask everyone what they have been catching up on like I said uh, we're getting to a point pretty soon where hopefully everybody will have seen everything so why don't we start off with Bianca since I kind of forgot you in the intro there Uh, Bianca uh, what did you catch up on at the theater this week Um, so yeah I caught up with Ford versus Ferrari um, which we spoke about on the podcast yesterday and I yeah, I love that film, and uh, I also managed to catch up with the Alien documentary, um, Memory, The Origins of Alien. Yeah. Mm. It's so good, and immediately watched Alien afterwards, so, um, <laughs> but aside from that, that's that's it, so. 
Ah, nice. I, I do want to catch up with that documentary. It did premiere at Sundance earlier this year. Will wrote a review for it uh, all the way back in January. And ever since then, I'm like, I want to watch that. I want to watch that oh, and then watch so Alien. Good. Yeah. 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 I know. I mean, like watching it, you just immediately need to go and watch the film again. And it's <laughs> so, oh, especially when it's raining outside and it's all dark. It's raining again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. Uh, Dan Bear, what about yourself? Uh, I also caught up with Ford v. Ferrari, which I liked. Um, the racing scenes are just so thrilling with Marco Beltrami's score. And um, this is, I think, Christian Bale's most entertaining performance in a long, long time. He's so much fun in it. I just, I just like wish that the dialogue didn't repeat important things two, three times in a row every time. Like, his brakes are shot. His brakes are shot. He looks like his brakes are shot. <laughs> well, I guess when you have, like, a team of people <laughs> in the cock, uh, in easy pit, uh, you know, I don't know. Listen, modern communication wasn't there, and there's a bunch of people, and they're all trying to communicate <laughs> with each other. Maybe, you know, I don't know. That sounds nitpicky to me. I didn't really it's think that that was an all issue. The people in the same yeah. place. I just like rolled my eyes because it felt long, and it's not that long. So I'm like, what can we do to make this shorter? I don't know. I, I rewatched it for a second time in preparation for the podcast, and uh, on, on my first initial viewing, I did feel like it was long. But the second time I watched it, I actually really thought it was edited extremely well, and I don't know if there was something that I would cut because the scenes that you probably could or would cut would either be moments of character development which makes the movie what it is ultimately in terms of the relationship between Damon and Bale or they are the entertaining fun scenes you know with like Tracy Letts and such and it's like I don't want to lose any of those really I just think like the pace Mm. of it could have been picked up okay all right did you see anything else I did. <laughs> I hope we can talk about it. Yes. <laughs> um, Matt and I saw Frozen 2. Yes, we did. Which I liked a lot more than Matt did. <laughs> which is totally okay because I still liked it. I want to just preface by saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, I, I, I don't think the songs are nearly as good as in the first film, but it's... The animation is drop-dead gorgeous, and um, I I was crying buckets at one point. Um, it, it's really well done, I think. I think it's a really great sequel in that it just – it takes all the themes of the first movie and deepens them, um, grows them, and along with the characters, and I really like that. Absolutely. I'll have more thoughts on that in just a second here. Alrighty, uh, Casey, what about yourself? Um, yeah, so I saw Marriage Story a second time. I'd seen it a couple weeks ago at the Philadelphia Film Festival. My thoughts on it are pretty much the same. It's great. Adam Driver gives the performance of the year. I love the score. I love the writing. I love all of it. Um, and to continue me and my boyfriend's weekend of emotional turmoil in movies, I finally, after how many ever years, showed him La La Land, <laughs> uh, which he loved more than I ever could expect. So I get to keep him. So that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's still my favorite film of the decade. I I noticed more of the technicals this time around. I hadn't seen it since the theater because I was like, I'm going to put that away for a little while. <laughs> but just like, oh, my God, the editing and the way that it's shot is so good. And yeah, my boyfriend was like, 
the thing that I love the most about it is it felt like a movie made for you. And I was like, mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah, I feel really good. <laughs> All right. Josh Parm. Uh, yeah, I caught up on a couple of things this week. Uh, like a lot of other people, I did manage to see Ford v. Ferrari, which I really liked, uh, kind of surprisingly so. I, I expected it to be entertaining, but I was really into the movie, to be honest with you. And I found it actually to be more interesting when it was all about the internal politics of Ford. I, I found all that to be actually more fun to watch than the actual racing scenes, which are also really well done, but... Uh, yeah, I thought it was a really good movie. I, I very, very much enjoyed it. Um, and then after that, uh, I also managed to see The Good Liar, which I am more mixed on. I, I know that there's like a kind of a negative perception of this movie. I think I'm more mixed positive on it. It is entertaining in a lot of spots. And I think Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren are pretty good in the film. It just really gets bogged down by its very ridiculous plot twist that <laughs> uh, I mean it's it's really kind of ludicrous in the places that it goes and it asks a lot of the audience to to buy into it and yeah. that does bring the movie down significantly but like overall it's it's fine it's kind of decent of a watch but it's yeah. not like the script really does no favors for it I mean yeah. to put it in perspective I also saw the good liar and forgot to mention it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's and Mirren are a lot of fun it's fun to watch them together but you it's it's very obvious early on that there's the another shoe is gonna drop and you just yeah. keep waiting the whole movie for it because it pretends like it's not but it's very clear that it's going to and then when the big shocking ending finally comes you're like oh that's a very different movie than we were watching before yeah, and it definitely feels like that is a problem with that source material. I have not read the book, yeah. but it feels like something that would happen in a book, and it does not work for a movie. No. All right. I mean, it could work. They just need to spend more time, I think, on certain elements. Um, yeah, yeah, because like you said, they – kind of pretend like there isn't going to be something else or they sort of flirt with it, but it's so yeah. obvious that something else is happening that I do agree with you. I wish they had spent more time maybe developing that a little bit more so that it doesn't land like, oh my God, big shocking twist at the end because it's yeah. it's so incredibly of a left turn that you can't really orient yourself in where the plot's going at that point. Hmm. Anything else? Uh, no, that, that was mainly, it mostly was like some older films that I caught in theaters, but those were the two big new releases. Okay. All right. Uh, passing it over now to Lauren. I am also playing catch up and I think I'm going to be playing catch up for the next like two weeks. So my little independent cinema, my university town finally got Jojo Rabbit. Yes. Finally we got there. So obviously first one there and I brought my friends from like my other film classes and it was the most cutest, adorable thing I ever wanted and expected. And I'm just so glad it finally got here. And I just love Taika Waititi. And everything that he does is brilliant and absurd and great and just him. And I love everything about it. Roman Griffin Davis is exactly what everyone's been saying. Again, the cutest, most, you know, windows through their souls, sort of a little boy. And he's great. I hope he gets some praise because he deserves it. And it's just super, super cute. And I hope everyone who wants to see it does see it and loves it. And 
if you're still in one of those remote towns that's not getting it, hold on a little longer. It is coming, I promise. All right. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Uh, Tom? I'm also on the catch-up train this week. Um, in addition to The Irishman, which we talked about last week in the podcast review, uh, I saw the, uh, the Lighthouse, The Report, Marriage Story, and this afternoon I'm seeing The Two Popes. Wow. So it's, uh, wow. Busy. Um, but I'd like to talk about one one film I, I did see that I don't think we've talked about yet on any of the podcasts. There's a couple of movies in the in the Oscar race that are kind of straddle unusual categories. I think Honeyland is one, which is in documentary and international film. Yeah, which uh, Bianca just recently reviewed for the website. Yeah. Thank you, B. <laughs> and uh, I, I saw another one uh, that straddles, again, international film and animated film and that is the entry from japan called weathering with you which i oh i keep putting that off and i really badly want to watch it so bad <laughs> i do too i want to see it <laughs> uh the, the director is makoto shinkai he's he's really uh, he's very different than the studio ghibli japanese animators um because very often they deal in kind of fantasy worlds he does deal with fantasy but it's always set firmly in urban settings. So, I mean, he gets the details of a big Mac box down. I mean, that's the kind of detail uh, that he has here. And I thought the title weathering with you would maybe weathering a crisis in your life or something. No, it's about the weather. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, and Tokyo has been suffering from rains and there's a phenomenon there called sunshine girls who have the ability to focus and, bring out the sunshine for a brief period of time. And it's, it's fascinating. Like, like his other really great film, your name, uh, it's about teenagers in love. And, uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's not, it's realistically gorgeous. And, uh, I don't know. I don't think it has much of a shot in international film, but I think it may be a contender. For a, for a nomination in the animated film category. I don't know that category now anymore. Now that the whole Academy can vote for it, we'd wind up with things like Abominable instead of this, but I'm here's hoping. Well, speaking of uh, that, the first film that I saw last week, immediately after we actually recorded uh, last week's podcast, was I saw the Netflix uh, entry into the animated uh, feature category called I Lost My Body. And let me tell you guys something really quickly. Despite what Tom just said, you all should have this movie in your animated feature predictions. <laughs> this movie is such a beautiful work of art that just stunned me with its storytelling, with its animation, the score. I was captivated by this so much. It is easily one of my favorite animated films of the year, hands down. I like it more than Frozen 2, FYI. Um, but it, it's really, really fantastic. Um, I, I, I don't want to reveal too much of what it is about, but um, it's very bold in its storytelling. And it's deeply moving and transcendent in a way that will get you thinking about it afterwards, long after it's over. So highly recommended. Um, Then I saw A Beautiful Day in a Neighborhood, which feels like this is like the one film from TIFF where it's like, really, it took me this long, but finally saw it. And I liked it overall. Um, I'm not in love with it. 
um, close to Love Territory, but I strongly, strongly like it. I think Tom Hanks is amazing as Mr. Rogers. It might be the most heartwarming performance ever committed to screen. Um, Matthew Reese is really great in it as well. Um, sadly, he won't get as much recognition as Hanks does. Nope. But the most wonderful thing about the movie is easily Mariel Heller's uh, direction, which um, the reason why I think it stands out so much is because I actually don't think the script is that great um, or not as great as it could have been. But her direction and the stuff that she does to elevate that material and make it odd unique and really to help separate it from a lot of other conventional talky dramas that you're going to see this year um she deserves a lot of praise for that yeah her was that was the thing that i left the screening at tiff really raving about mostly was her direction of it um god it's fantastic uh so what else uh frozen 2 like we talked about um Grade is up on the website from me, written review. I gave it a 7 out of 10. I like it. It's just a, a notch below the first film for me, which if the first film is in that 8 or 9 category for you. Um, I don't think I've talked to a single person that like Frozen 2 more than the first one, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So use that as your barometer. <laughs> you know, if you like Frozen 2, whatever your grade was. I'm sorry, if you like Frozen and if you like um, Frozen 2, your grade will probably be just one notch lower than the first one, most likely. Uh, but I think a part of that is because Frozen 1 was just so fresh and so, like, it kind of came out of nowhere. With this one, this movie's like burdened with expectation, unfortunately. And so we're all heading in with that expectation of, is it as good as the first? And the answer is no. And it can't be because that first film was just such a shocker to so many of us. And now it's to be expected that this movie uh, will have the big numbers, will have um, the sister bond between the two main characters uh, that will resonate deeply with many people, that it will have the uh, cartoonish uh, side characters like Olaf and Sven and so on and so forth. I, I, I think that the one thing that this movie, as Dan said before, that it does really, really well, that is a great improvement on the first film, is the animation. The animation in this one is just stunning in terms of um, the realism, the photorealism of some of the elements. I, 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 I was just blown away by it at times. It was so, mm. so great. That water in the first trailer, though, was... Oh. That's what I mean, yeah. Anything, like, elements-wise, it, it just... The water horse is so good. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I saw Little Women, um, and I am under embargo, as I'm calling it. <laughs> and so I'm not allowed to review it, but I am allowed to give, like, some sort of a reaction. Um, and I will say this. I think that Little Women, um, I looked back at uh, the rest of the year, I think Little Women is the biggest surprise of the year for me. I think it is in terms of how much I really, really loved it, how much I really, really responded to it, how much I went in with kind of like an uneasy feeling of, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Like we all love Lady Bird so much. We we all want to see Greta Gerwig do so, so well. Please let this be good. Please let this be good. And then I heard some like initial, you know, rumblings after the first uh, few screenings that uh, it's a little hard to get into if you're not like too familiar with the book. The editing is a bit odd, you know, things like that. And these things are true. Um, the movie is definitely easier if you're familiar with the story heading in. Um, it jumps between the two timelines um, in a way that can be confusing. But overall, overall, I love this movie so much. 
I love every technical aspect of it. I love every performance from the ensemble in it. I love Gerwig's writing. I love the message of the movie. The movie's got like nine or ten different themes packed into it, and it somehow manages to touch upon all of them in a way that made sense. It it, it just comes together in the end in such a remarkable way. And it's um, while it won't make my top ten of the year, it is just sitting right outside of it. It, it, it is fantastic. Uh, and I think... Yeah, I, I rewatched Knives Out and I rewatched Waves. Um, but I mean, my thoughts haven't changed on either one of those. I still love Waves. I recognize it has flaws, but I still, I still am very touched deeply by it. And Knives Out is probably the most fun I've had in the movie theater all year. I, I want to go see it for a third time when it comes out. I, I, I <laughs> freaking love Knives Out. <laughs> so much fun. So much fun. It's ridiculous in terms of how campy it is. It's, it's just amazing. <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Dane. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the IMDb Journey podcast. Where we break down every movie from the top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. But when we're not doing that, we also battle other podcasts in various movie-related games of trivia and drafts. We also give quick reviews about every other film we've watched as well. Yeah, here we're quite good too. Yeah, if you guys don't believe us, why don't you listen to these genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, you guys are really good. I love your chemistry. Oh, hey, Brew. It's uh this is a this is a good podcast, yo. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, love the banter, guys. Keep it up. I'm DB Jenny is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real. <laughs> and if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favorite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So come along and join our journey. Okay, so now uh, that we got all of that out of the way, uh, I want to talk about the Independent Spirit Awards. I want to talk about the fact that they are announcing their nominations on November 21st. Uh, I want us all to take a step back for a minute here. I want us to look at the entire year, and I want us to do our best to figure out what exactly is going to happen. So uh, what are some films that we expect to show up at this year's Independent Spirit Awards? I think the, I think the one first and foremost easily is Marriage Story. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That goes without saying, I think. Now, I don't expect that it will get um, nominations in every category. I feel like something like writing and Adam and picture are pretty safe. Do you get the sense that, like, in terms of of awards with precursors, do you get the sense that, like, a lot of people have cooled off on Johansson? Yeah. You know, I think so. It's hard to say, only because I feel like all we've had is, like, Gotham and that's – and, like, word of mouth. Like, that's it, I feel like. And I also feel like it might not be the biggest – I mean, I guess it would be concerning if she got snubbed here as well, but, like, I don't know. It's hard I to say. I definitely see them, like, maneuvering towards, like, instead of campaigning both of them, it's going more towards Adam, which makes sense. Yeah. But I do see them swaying towards Adam. I, I think that it, it's largely because, to my mind at least, Adam's role is the better written role. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, okay, so the one thing that the Independent Spirit Awards also have that I really, really appreciate is um, they have like the Robert Altman Award for a cast of a film. And I, I always like that because uh, the previous two years it's been um, Mudbound and then it was uh, Suspiria uh, last year. Which is so awesome. Right? <laughs> and now, like, so this year, like, what what do you guys think is like a cast, award, a cast that would be uh, rewarded by Independent Spirit Awards, do you think, this year? You know what I would really love for it to be, and this kind of goes with those 
um, other ones. I, I think it meets the budget requirement is Booksmart. Yes. Yeah, that'd be great. Mm, yeah. Yeah. However, if you do that, if I remember correctly, none of the actors t- can then get nominated individually in the other categories then. Yeah, that would be yeah. a shame. That would be a shame, but like that whole entire cast, that ensemble is really fantastic. I mean, even people in the smallest parts make a huge impression. Mm-hmm. I also really, I also really like to see maybe not an ensemble because I don't want the acting possibilities to be taken away. But the last black man. <laughs> oh God, yes. See, I, I, I kind of agree with you on that one, but I, I honestly do think that there is a world right now where Jonathan Majors uh, gets pushed into yeah. the supporting actor conversation by critics, and I think that Independent Spirit Awards is like the perfect place for that to continue with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I actually yeah. think that movie is going to get a boost from the Spirit Awards. It, it really just yeah. feels like a movie that they kind of will pick up and, you know, the film that's sort of forgotten a little bit, nobody really remembers it, nobody's talking about it that much, and then for some reason it lands really big at the Spirit Awards and it's like, oh yeah, that movie again. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's a movie that's really primed for that. Same with The Farewell if it meets budget requirements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe... um this would be a really weird one, but does anyone know if Midsummer met the budget requirement? I think it does because it was eligible for Gotham, and I do believe they do have the same yeah. – I, I do believe they play within the same rules and guidelines, if my memory yeah. serves me correctly. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, and it says 8 to $10 million, so it would okay. fall in the requirements. That would be a good one for the Ensemble Award, too, honestly. I mean, like, yes, we all know Florence Pugh is amazing and should get all the awards for it, but, like – that was a great ensemble. Yeah, that film only None works of them if that really cult. the attention they deserve. Yeah. yeah, that film only works if the cult people are believable. Yeah. I'm thinking right now because, you know, obviously you got to just keep coming back to the budgets, right? And you got to, like, ask yourself, okay, based on the budget, like, you know, how is this film uh, going to land? Is it going to land, et cetera? And I do think, like, Marriage Story is, like, a great example of a movie that will have both Oscar and indie uh, spirit crossover potential. Mm-hmm. What is a movie you think, though, that would show up at Independent Spirit Award nominations and literally have have uh, no Oscar crossover whatsoever. The one I'm worried about is Honey Boy. Uh, you know what? I yeah. got to say, I was so pleasantly surprised and shocked at the reception that Honey Boy did receive over the last week and a half or so. So much that I'm starting to definitely like really, really, really believe now. Before, it was always an idea, and I was trying to convince people of this, but nobody wanted to listen. But now it really does seem possible that Shia LaBeouf is in contention for either screenplay or supporting actor at this point. Don't... <laughs> what? Don't make me think about that. Why? Don't What's wrong? It's so... It. It's it, why, why, though? Why, why? Embrace it. I'll be it. so disappointed when it doesn't happen. I'll be so disappointed <laughs> when it doesn't happen. <laughs> Don't give him hope. Don't give me hope. It's not hope at this point, all right? It's a possibility. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know how realistic a possibility it is, but sure, I will agree with you that it's in the conversation right now. Also, too, um, other movies that could also uh, cross over. I I mean, I'm very amazed this year um, with the Best Actress category and how many uh, movies are not on the Academy radar, but are just so worthy of attention. One is um, Sienna Miller in American Woman, who I could very easily see showing up at Independent Spirit Awards. Um, Elizabeth Moss and Her Smell is another one. 
Oh, he should, yeah. yes. Yeah. Jillian yeah, Fallon runs a marathon. Oh, that would be really nice. Yes. That would be sweet. Yeah. I would I would really love that if that were to happen, yeah. for sure. Do you think Luce can make a comeback at the indie series? I could see that. I could see Octavia Spencer in Supporting Actress. And that yeah. script, please, God, that script. Uh, actually, oh, you know so what? Good. What if, hear me out for a second here. What if, and, and this was just something I just thought of just now. What if the mm. cast of Waves gets the Robert Altman Award? That would make, that would that be would a good one. That would make sense. That would be yeah. a good one. Yeah. yeah. That would be good. And that film needs that push. Well, they got a great push uh, with Gotham getting into Best Feature. And I believe Taylor Russell also was yeah. uh, in the Breakout Actor Award as well. Um, I could very easily see Waves uh, continuing to get some sort of momentum at uh, Indie Spirit Awards as well. Um, whether it's yeah. Sterling K. Brown and supporting actor, um, Kelvin Harrison Jr. better show up somewhere this season for Waves or Loose because yeah. it would be a crime. So seriously. <laughs> it would be a crime. So good. <laughs> yeah. That boy has had quite the year. Yeah. He, yeah, it's a, yeah. I think he's the breakout actor of the year. Definitely. There's Uncut Gems, the Safdie mm-hmm. Brothers. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't discount mm-hmm. that or I wouldn't discount Adam Sandler showing up in the best actor category either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would yeah. I wouldn't discount Lighthouse. Yeah. No, I yeah. think Defoe is still going to continue getting in there. Yeah, I think he's going to get into uh, supporting, and there's a good chance that Pattinson could show up an actor, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see them going. Yeah, I, I could see Lighthouse showing up in a couple of different categories. I mean, they have a cinematography uh, category at Independent Spirit Awards. How does Lighthouse not show up there? Exactly. Yeah, I feel like Lighthouse and Midsummer, I think, are mm-hmm. pretty good there. Yeah. They'll also show up in their editing category, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. There's a lot of very interesting things that could potentially happen there. Um, I'm just trying to think what else. Um, we did talk about the farewell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the farewell. I, I think that's a good place for it to uh, get a little bit of a boost uh, this year if people, uh, you know, are starting to get a little cool on it, which I am starting to suspect right now, um, which is interesting because. The Farewell is the only film that I've seen A24 really campaign for so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is so strange. Like, after we all know they could have done so much better last year with their stable of films. Yeah. And they're just not getting it together yeah, they just, again. They just don't learn, those guys. <laughs> yeah. Does Judy qualify? Because if so, Renee has got to be in then, right? Oh, yeah. Well, obviously she's going to be. <laughs> but, I mean, does it qualify budget-wise? That's a good question. Ooh. What's the budget on JoJo Rabbit? Ooh. I don't know. Huh? For, oh, I just looked it up. Fourteen million. No, yeah, yeah. so it's gonna be that would oh, also be a good ensemble. Yeah, that would be good. That'd be, that'd be, great. Great. That'd be yeah. a good ensemble. Uh what else? I, I basically at this point it's like what's it, it's just a matter of what is the budget for this, what is the budget for that, guys? What's the budget for us? I don't Ooh. know. But don't be surprised if we see Terrence Malick show up. Oh, I are you kidding me? I would never be surprised if Terrence Malick showed up <laughs> anywhere because people just love Terrence Malick, <laughs> you know? I'd also really, really love if they, if somehow on God's green earth, uh, Acing Franciosi gets a nomination for best actor oh, for the Nightingale. Please, God. please, oh, God, my God, that performance. You know, screeners for this just went out recently, and I know it's got a lot of love from a lot of people. What about the Peanut Butter Falcon? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I can see that. Where would, like, there. Oh, where would that show up, though? I mean, screenplay. Like, what's the most logical place for that? What about supporting actor for uh, Zach Gotts again? Oh, for him, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Even though he's not a supporting actor, supporting is that's, that's no. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, I 
listen, I just got the FYC from them and they're campaigning I'm supporting. It is what it is. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Like I said, it's another conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, what about Blinded by the Light? Oh, that would be nice. Oh, Tease me that way. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very sweet. We're giving a lot of people hope today. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Indie Spirit does. It gives us all hope. Yeah. It's my favorite body of nominees every year just because I'm like, yes, you understand. Like, they gave Beale Street Best Picture last year. I'm like, uh, yes, you get it. Uh, what's the budget on Dolomite? Oh. oh, yeah, I was just about to ask that. Well, it's Netflix, so I assume it's high. So yeah. yeah, because I know in terms of, like, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, some Glow performances. Like, we know Rocketman is not going to be eligible, so Taryn won't be there. Then I was thinking of something like, um, you know, like Knives Out. Uh, but I believe that budget is also over $20 million. Uh, So then I was like, well, what about Dolomite, you know? Yeah, I would imagine Dolomite has a pretty hefty budget with all you know it's it's a period setting it's also netflix they overspend like crazy anyway so yeah i, I would assume that that's more than 20 million on that movie uh so i assume then antonio banderas for pain and glory could also show up yeah well well would yeah. that movie not qualify because it's um a foreign film yeah even like oh even international rules are confusing yeah, like weird. the favorite was considered an international film last year yeah yeah Mm, yeah, no, it's a good point there, Josh. I forgot about that. You're right. Damn. Yeah, but their rules are sometimes weird because, like, I remember years ago when the artist qualified, even though that's like all had all that French money in it. I I don't know. Uh, Jesse Buckley for Wild Rose. Anyone here see that movie? Oh yes, oh, yes. Oh, I like it. Yeah, for nomination at least. And then there's the question mark of clemency, which. Uh. I am so perplexed by this movie and its release schedule and whether or not it is going to work or not for Neon. I think that if it is ever going to work, this is the place for it to work with like Alfred Woodard showing up or Aldous Hodge. But Mm -hmm. in terms of Oscar, I, I know it's a gamble and I also recognize that it's very, very tough to say what's gonna actually happen with it, but I'm leaning towards it not working out for them. It's, it's it's such a strange idea to be so close to the deadline for an early Oscar mm-hmm. show. Um, I mean, I think Neon has done a great job with its documentaries this year, and uh, I think its campaign for Parasite has been pitch perfect. But this one baffles me. I, I was like, this you got you might have a winner here. Yeah, and uh, it just yeah. it's. I'm going to pivot for a second here by just saying this. Uh, This was something that I was expressing the other day to you all um, in in our group chats. I want to just say it out loud right now, though. And that is um, the studios have priorities. Uh, There are priority films that they are placing over others. And I think that based on the FYC ads that we have seen so far, um, just the overall promotion schedule, uh, what movies also get screenings and receptions and so on and so forth, I think you could kind of tell which films are being prioritized over the others. And I think in this year, especially with this window being what it is, if you are not priority number one or number two for a studio, I don't think you stand a chance this year in terms of uh, maybe one nomination here or there, but you're definitely not getting into best picture. That's for sure. At least I don't, I don't see it that way. Oh no, but I don't think we really have an expectation that something like clemency is in the best picture conversation. No, no, no. Like, a movie like that is really only in it for best actress. And 
you know, there's some wiggle room in Best Actress right now, and I think that their main strategy seems to be get Alfred Woodard in front of everybody to talk about not just that movie, but about her career and the people she's worked with and how long she's been in the industry. And I think that if they push that narrative for her, that is the thing that's going to help her and that movie. I, I don't know if the movie itself really coming out that late and being the tough sit that it is is going to get into the conversation just on its own. I think it's really going to be up to her. And to their credit, it seems like that's what they're doing because she seems to be really out there and, and pushing herself. I will say this. You know what would work a lot more in her favor if she wasn't already an Academy Award nominee? Of course. Yeah. yeah. There, there, there doesn't seem to be that desire then to, oh, my God, we have to write this wrong, like this needs to happen, sort of a feeling. You know what I mean? She's only had one nomination. Yeah, I understand, yeah. 30 years ago. No, I get it. I understand. I'm just saying it would have helped. That's all. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's a narrative for like people who are heavily invested in the Oscars and already know that she has a nomination. I think there's a lot of people that probably don't remember yeah. that nomination for her. Yeah. Agreed. Meanwhile, after some research, the budget for us is $20 million. Ooh. So that might... It could, possibly, if Universal decides to push it. Although, to be honest with you, this gets into something else I kind of have a slight issue with the Spirit Awards is, like, they nominate stuff that I kind of feel like shouldn't be here a lot of the times. And and I think Us is actually a good example. Like, yes, that movie is good. And sure, it might meet the budget requirements, but it's a universal movie. It's not not, an independent film, yeah. No, and I feel like they nominate movies that are studio films that just happen Mm -hmm. to be under $20 and I don't necessarily agree with that. I I agree with that completely. I agree. But Mm -hmm. right now, Lofito Nyong'o is playing. I agree. Oh, yeah, they're ready to get there. She is working. I completely agree. I think that Lupita Nyong'o right now is very, very formidable for the Best Actress nomination at this point. She knows exactly what she's got to do, and she is doing it. Mm-hmm. And Universal is also following suit as well. Uh, they are mm-hmm. putting a very, very heavy campaign that is solely focused on her right now. Yeah, and they got screeners out. That's, yeah. That's the key this year. The key this year is that artist screeners getting out early enough because I'm telling you, there is no time this year. There is no time. And the fact that most of the screeners uh, haven't gone out the ones that are going out now are the most important ones of all, uh, because you know if you're saying to yourself, I, "I got, I got, I gotta get on top of my shit," like I need to watch some stuff. Oh, I don't really have that many screeners. This is all that I have. These are the ones you're gonna pop in. You know, you you're gonna watch us. You're gonna watch yeah. the Peanut Butter Falcon. You're gonna watch her smell. What is it going to mean? Yeah. And the other one to watch out for is Harriet. If Cynthia Revo can get in. Oh, yeah, because I believe that budget meets the requirements, too. It does. Yeah. And it's focus. Mm, that's a good point. Okay, cool. Uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see. I think it's always, uh, for me, uh, some of the most exciting nominees that we always have every year. Um, I really, really love and to support independent film. Um you know, side note, by the way, uh, I want to congratulate Casey Lee Clark uh, going to Sundance for the first time ever this year. For next best picture, Yay. congratulations, Casey. You you deserve Thanks. 
Um, and I can't wait to just spend some time with you up in the snowy mountains of Utah. It's going to be fun. Yes. I'm so excited. Watching, celebrating, and loving independent film. Uh, all right. So now moving away from that, uh, we, we have a trailer to discuss. We have, actually have three trailers to discuss this week. First trailer uh, is going to be uh, for a sports film from Gavin O'Connor. Uh, you might know him as the director of Miracle, Warrior, and The Accountant, which is reuniting him with uh, star Ben Affleck. Uh, this is called The Way Back. And it looks like it's a uh, sports drama that is uh, pretty personal to its main star. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. What's going on with you? What's new? Not much. I hate the idea of you down there by yourself all the time. Just drinking. I'm fine. I appreciate it. But it's, I'm fine. Ever since I heard the howling wind. And I suppose you're wondering why I called you over here. I didn't need to go where a Bible went. Our basketball coach had a heart attack the other night. We need a new coach, Jack. And you know your gifts seem heaven sent. Is the team any good? No. The last time they made the playoffs, back when you were playing. Let's go, line up. You're Marcus, right? That's right. How many threes did Marcus make last year? A percentage of 26. Yeah. Want to know why they're leaving you open? It's because they don't think you could hit the ocean from the beach. Oh. <laughs> Yo, he just spit backs at your ass, bro. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. So how you liking coaching so far? Great. Just getting used to the players. What players? I was never sure how much of you I could let in. I heard you're coaching basketball. Yeah. Keeps me busy. Keeps my mind off other things, you know. Once you settle down, baby, you love is big. I spent a lot of time hurting myself. I made a lot of bad decisions. I had a lot of regrets. Games on the line, I want you taking that shot. Why is that so hard for you to believe? What? That you're the best player on the team. I know you're suffering. I just want you to be happy again. But you gotta want it too. Keep pressing, trapping, taking charges. You guys earned this tonight. If it weren't so deadly serious, I'd almost think this was an SNL parody of these kinds of movies. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, like, it takes all the boxes of, like, the most cliche things. On the other hand, though, like, it... it actually does kind of look good. It, it does. And I say this because also um, I, 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 I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely adore Warrior. I think it's like one of the most underrated films of the decade. And I think it's one of the best sports dramas I have ever seen. And if Gavin O'Connor can just somehow tap into that with this, which is, I think, what the trailer is really, really hoping for in terms of, hey, guys, remember Warrior? Remember, remember Miracle? Remember the stirring emotions those movies got out of you? Well, here we go. We're doing it again, you know? I, I think that's exactly what they're going for. And I have to say, for me personally, uh, it worked. I walked away from this trailer thinking to myself, why is this a March release? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, let's get, best, let's get Ben Affleck in the best actor conversation. Jesus Christ, does he look like he's got some uh, scenes in this movie. Yeah, and it, the nice thing is it's it's got a it's got a story because it really kind of dovetails with his own personal problems with substance abuse, right? And uh, yeah. that always lends a little more gravitas to something. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you, Matt, that Warrior to me is one of my favorite films. I really love that movie too. And that is a film that also has so many cliches that you've seen in every other kind of sports movie, but it does them so effectively that you don't care. Mm. At least I don't care. I, I find that movie to be so entertaining. And I get a very similar vibe from this movie. Like, I agree with you, Dan. It does look like it has so many things that we've seen in other films before, but there's also just something about the way that it's presented in this trailer that makes me, like, invested in this story. Yeah. And I I think that might be just something that Gavin O'Connor is really good at, and that makes me interested to check this out. Ben Affleck has never been an actor that, for me personally, I'm like, oh, he's a great actor, you know? He is definitely a much better writer and director than he is actor, in my opinion. But I walked away from this trailer thinking to myself, holy hell, that might that that could be, you know, obviously we have to see it, but that could be Ben Affleck's like best on screen performance, maybe ever. Yeah. Yeah, he'd really look I mean, it it really looks like quite a personal journey for him in, in this film. And um I was getting emotional just watching the trailer. So um I think it's yeah, it's it's odd that it's coming out in March. I just you think maybe it would be a good, you know, those sort of redemption type of stories that the the Oscars love, you know, mm. with actors turning it around and putting all of their efforts into one performance. I even had to double check after the trailer was over to see if this could potentially be a Sundance film because of the March release. And I was like, oh, no, wait a minute, it's Warner Brothers. I'm like, there's no way. But it, it just like. I looked at it and I just thought to myself, like, it, it has, like, all the makings of a independent, you know, film that could be potentially, like, a on paper, like, Oscar player in another year. So I was very surprised to see that it's actually a studio-backed film uh, with the March release. Um, it goes to show you, I think, maybe um, uh, the the amount of uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? The amount of uh, goodwill that Gavin O'Connor has bought with the studio – uh, ben Affleck also, they're both uh, two Warner Brothers guys. I believe, uh, one, I think The Accountant was also made with Warner Brothers, if my memory serves me correctly. Right. Yeah. And so I think that this was, this is probably definitely, if I had to take a guess, a one for you, one for me type of scenario, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I've noticed a lot, with, especially like Warner Brothers, they tend to reserve these types of movies for the filmmakers that they have really good relationships with and they just want to keep working with because they tend to not really invest a ton in these small dramas anymore, unless you are a Clint Eastwood or a Ben Affleck who they have yeah, a very good working relationship with. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Um, I think it is going to be, I think it is going to be good. I, I also think too, too, that even if it isn't good, um, at least it looks like Ben Affleck is delivering uh, very, very strong work that I suspect will resonate very strongly with a lot of people because of how personal it is. I mean, it's like, guys, you thought Gone Girl was very personal to Ben Affleck? Well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> exactly. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. 
All right. So now uh, moving off of that, I want to also now talk about uh, some other things that have been happening this week, some other bits of news. Uh, first and foremost, Robert De Niro uh, going to be honored at the Screen Actors Guild this year with the Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, big congratulations to Mr. De Niro. He wholly deserves it. He's one of the greatest actors that ever walked the face of the planet. Um, I find it interesting that it's happening in a year where he is delivering his best work in the last 25 years, and he is very much in the best actor conversation. What do we think about that? Oh, come on. What about Meet the Parents? Surely. (laughs) (laughs) I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? (laughs) (laughs) The major number right there. But in all seriousness, uh, do, do we think that this is a good thing? Do we think it's a bad thing for his chances in the Best Actor conversation? Where does he currently stand for you guys with the Irishman? What do you guys think? He's he's so good in it, but he's kind of on the bubble for me. I have him around fifth. Um, and uh, But I, I'm just astonished that they haven't done this before for him. Yeah. Good yeah. God, really? Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, actually, I'm going to blow your mind with something else really quickly, too. And that is, I I don't remember which podcast I heard this on, um, so I apologize. But I was listening to some other uh, awards podcast. This was like, I think, two weeks ago. That's why I don't remember it. Um, And they said that Al Pacino has never won a SAG award before. Mm-hmm. And oh. so if he gets nominated yeah, for so. Irishman, it's like, why wouldn't oh, yeah. they do that then? And it's yeah. just kind of making me believe that, like, there are a lot of elements right now kind of coming together for the Irishman, I feel like, um, especially mm-hmm. as we're heading into uh, the very, very, very beginning of phase two uh, this upcoming week with the precursors starting in full gear that, I don't know, it just seems like the road is starting to clear for De Niro, Pacino, hell, even Pesci, you know, and the film overall. Well, yeah, that's yeah, honestly the, the been thing... the most surprising thing for me is that, like, People are really excited about Pesci being back. Yeah. He's so good in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I also think the thing with The Irishman, and especially at SAG, it I think is really primed to do very well there because we know SAG tends to like Netflix movies in general. So that's one positive to the film. And they also like awarding actors that they never got a chance to award because they're organization is relatively new so like they weren't around when uh, al pacino won the oscar for scent of a woman so it it seems like that's a really good opportunity for him to even win at sag as well for the irishman because it's like oh we weren't around when you made your award season run before so here's our chance to make that up to you and kind of Mm -hmm. the same thing with de niro yeah who who, by the way for the record has also never won a sag award but i would argue there, he's not going to win a SAG award for the Irishman, I don't think. I think no. I think De Niro's in yeah. it for the nomination, not for the win. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is why it's interesting that this Lifetime Achievement Award, coupled along with what yeah. if Pacino does pull it off, and then who knows what could happen in an ensemble, it could be a big night for the Irishman. It could really yeah. be. Yeah. That, really that, could, yeah. That is a top tier ensemble. Yeah. 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 Although I still think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will probably win SAG. Ooh, it's not a bad, that, not a bad yeah. call. And Glorious Bastards did pull it off before for Tarantino, so yep. it's a good chance. All right, other bit of news, another award show, uh, Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the Golden Globes. We have a host, ladies and gentlemen, Ricky Gervais, four v fifth time is coming back. <laughs> I swear, I thought the last time they said this is the last time, and it's they very always str- say that. 
Yeah. I didn't like his last performance. Um, honestly, like the last time he was on there, um, I really did like his first run though of those initial uh, three, 2010, 11, and 12. Especially because by the time we got to like 2012, um, I think the fatigue really did start to set in. And even with him, he was just like, really? We're doing this again? Okay, you guys asked for it. Um, and in 2016, it was like, oh, yeah, remember, like, they're bringing Gervais back. He was, you know, he had some memorable moments and this and that, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't, It I, that was not a good performance. And I, I, I didn't really like his hosting that year at all. Um, and I'm actually surprised. I'm, like, genuinely surprised that they're having him come back again now. Yeah. And that he agreed to it. I genuinely think he's a funny guy, especially in the early times he hosted. And I'm just, I'm more shocked that he said yes to it because he does always, like when he's back on the UK doing his chat shows, he does always like talk about how much he didn't enjoy it or how much like pressure he had, especially in the back ends of the years. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think, you know, during this time, like he does say some funny jokes that I remember actively enjoying. But I don't remember last year where the ratings so like dangerously low. That we need to bring a host back? So, yeah. So, last year's uh, Golden Globes did have a uh, lower rating than the year prior. Uh, what I guess what I'm what I'm really confused about with this uh, overall is, is yeah, there were some elements of Ricky Gervais' stand-up that I did think were funny in some of those ceremonies. I also do like that he has this attitude of lightness about him that he just doesn't really care necessarily. Um, and, I, I, and I say this because I think it actually – fits perfectly with the Golden Globes in the sense that they are yeah. meant to be a little bit more fun, mm-hmm. a little bit more loose, a little trashy, you know, people are getting drunk and stuff. So I think he fits that. But, yeah. but, 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 the biggest but of all are two things. One, I don't think Ricky Gervais fits well anymore in these current times with his brand of humor. That's number one. Number two, I never, ever, ever did like it when he pushed the envelopes so hard at the show to the point that it made people in the room uncomfortable. And he did that every single year that he hosted. And just some of those jokes just weren't funny. They just weren't, you know? And it just made everybody... Like, you cut to the reaction shots of some people, and it's like... You could tell that so many people in the room, like, despised him. Yeah. Uh, I think that comes across on television as well. I mean, that's the thing that really... I don't understand why they would bring him back after it was such a negative reaction from people in the room. Unless if he's, and I highly doubt this, unless if he's willing to play ball a little bit more, I, <laughs> I highly doubt that, you know? I am just not enthused about this at all. And I did like Ricky Gervais initially. I think that he is even still a funny person. He can be very, very humorous, but... I just find that his comedy has not evolved at right. all. And it just yeah. gets so tiring after a while to get the same persona over and over again. And yeah, I'm I'm not really looking forward to the hosting duties of Ricky Gervais. And it's going to be the moment of the show that I'm just going to like, all right, let's just get this over with and get on to the award. Here's my yeah. uh, ultimate, like where I ultimately land on this in the end overall is – I think that if he does approach it differently and it works, it, it obviously then, you know, 
okay, great. It worked. Excellent. You know, we all had a great time. You know, he looked like he was having a great time. He evolved. uh, Like you said, Josh, it looks like he hasn't evolved, but maybe he will surprise. Um, If he does the exact same shtick that he did in 2010, 2011, 2012, and God forbid 2016, where it really didn't work, um, then I don't think they should ever bring him back ever again. Period. No. This to me is like literally like a last ditch final effort at getting some sort of a consistency uh, with him as a host. And who knows, after five times of doing it, maybe he just just doesn't want to ever do it ever again after this, I'm sure. Or maybe that's part of it. Maybe nobody in town wants to do it and he's the only one. (laughs) They were just fine without a host last year. Yeah, that's the... Oh, no, no, no. Last year they had Andy Samberg and Sandra Oh. Oh. Yeah. It was. You're thinking of the. Uh, you're thinking of the 2010s. I'm sorry, the, the 2000s. Rather, uh, they didn't have any hosts uh, for I think that entire decade. They used to not have a host. Yeah. 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 And to be honest with you, I don't really think the Globes need a host. Like of all they the award don't. shows yeah. that can get away without with without having one, like there's nothing production value wise about the Golden Globes that calls for a host and. Like, I don't really understand why they feel the need to get one now. Like, go hostless. We will not miss it for the Golden Globes. Yeah, because the Globes mm-hmm. is just one of those tele- – one of those – the few award shows, if any, that a drunk could get up on stage <laughs> and pretend to host and would fit right in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like a big dinner party. You know, it's not a big, lavish production spectacle that they put on. It's very simple uh, in that regard. So – they don't ever really need a host, and I would say they certainly do not need Ricky Gervais right now. I am siding with you there a little bit, Josh. I am. Um, I will throw caution to the wind. I will give this guy one last chance. Uh, I'll admit that in 2016, it was like – I think 2016 for me was interesting because, you know, in the early 2010s, you know, I'm like in my early 20s and stuff, and like, you know, PC humor is just like – not a thing to me so whatever is like funny is funny i guess uh but as i've gotten older and stuff and i realize you know the consequences of uh you know sub- such humor sometimes um you know in 2016 i really just didn't like his shtick at all um so this is like a last ditch effort for me i'm sure many other people are feeling that way to a certain degree as well um and we'll see you know um if it doesn't go well um yeah i'll, I'll put forward the idea also that i think they should go hostless i think that'll be the right call Unless Tina Fey and Amy Poehler want to do it again. Yay, please. Yeah. <laughs> I liked them. They were good. Absolutely. All right, second trailer. Uh, we are now going to talk about Seaberg, starring Kristen Stewart as the real-life actress who underwent a serious amount, uh, a serious amount of events uh, that led to her eventual downfall. This uh, premiered at the... Toronto Film Festival. Uh, Dan uh, did not get a chance to uh, see it, uh, but let's, uh, you know, let's take a look at this one and see what we think. Breathless made you a star of the new wave. Why do you think the French fell in love with you? They fell in love with the character. They get me instead. And who is that? Who is Jean Seberg? A million Americans look at you and they see an escape. They want the girl from the Midwest. It's America's sweetheart. I've been trying to get away from that girl my whole life. This country is at war with itself. Vietnam, the oppression of black people in America. It's the same disgusting racism. The revolution needs movie stars. Who's that? Some actress. Just grabbing some free publicity. She has a history of donations to civil rights groups. She's a sympathizer, sir. I think she could be useful. 
You must be some kind of crazy to come to this neighborhood in that car. Was it my money you were chasing? Or was it me? <laughs> Hello? Hello? They've tapped our phones. They're listening. I can hear these little clicks on the line. I think it's the government. Where have you been? I kept us late at the office. Our job is to cheapen our image in the eyes of the public. There's things that I've been ordered to do. Those are pictures from her bedroom. Are you having an affair? They're pushing her too hard. She's coming apart. This comes from above. Miss Seabird, you gotta stop. They will destroy you, your reputation, your career, your family. You can't stand that I might be a part of something more important than books or articles or movies. What are you a part of except the end of two marriages? Who is it? You swing by in your limousine, open your legs and your checkbook, and you think that gives you the right to anything you want. I only ever wanted to help. Well, that doesn't make you a better person. That makes you a tourist. To defame somebody who speaks out against their government is a type of persecution. You run around with a handful of nails looking for a cross to die on. You deserve to know the truth. Woman has her secrets. Uh, I really want to see this. <laughs> I think yeah, she's the audience a... is for this. It, it's us. It's, it's yeah, cinephiles. It's, me. Like the, it's yeah. basically <laughs> me. My boyfriend, when we watched a trailer, he turned to me and he was like, oh, that's a Bianca film. You know? <laughs> he's probably right uh, yeah i'm i really look i've i've always really liked um you know her as a actress um uh, i think i i've liked her since the twilight days i know that everybody hates those movies but to see her evolve as the actress and watch her in like personal shopper um, and all the stuff that she's been doing recently i think this is interesting you know uh I, i like how she's trying her hand at charlie's angels and also this i mean it's it's so great to see her sort of evolve as an actress and i'm really interested to see what they cover in in this uh in this film in terms of story um so because yeah we did mention that nobody really knows who who seaberg is so yeah which is a which is a bit of a shame it is it is a total shame and hopefully like kristen stewart playing the role will bring more people to her um because she definitely deserves to be known um but (laughs) <laughs> I, it's very very strange yeah yeah, yeah. this true story is pretty sad so but it is so sad yeah, yeah. jack o'connell continues to have one of the uh, more bewildering uh filmographies of a uh, hot rising young actor that i've seen um i don't know like someone someone i don't know if it's bad luck or what it is, but this guy, uh, it seems like with every project that he becomes a part of, uh, just can't seem to catch a break, and it sucks because I feel like there's untapped potential in him as an actor uh, that we've seen great glimpses of, right? Exactly. Um, Like, I thought he was so good in Unbroken and also in Money Monster and uh, a bunch of others. Start Up, yes. Start Up, yes. Yeah, she got an Oscar nomination for that movie. Yeah. I mean, and there's a let's also be very clear about this too. This is a packed cast other than Kristen Stewart. You also have Vince Vaughn, Zazie Beetz, Margaret Qualley, Anthony Mackie is also in this. Stephen Root is here. 
Uh, there's a lot of talent packed into this film. Uh, you have Rachel Morrison as the cinematographer. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on. And it, it, it's unfortunate that the initial reactions were just overall not that positive. Um, and so I'm heading into this. Obviously, I'm going to see it for what Kristen Stewart is bringing to it. Obviously, I'm going to see it because I am a cinephile. And clearly, the audience for this is cinephiles, right? <laughs> I mean, we've all seen Breathless here, people, right? Yeah. If not, I will ship you a copy. I do love how like that's like the first line of the trailer is talking about Breathless. I'm like, who other than cinephiles knows what Breathless is? <laughs> <laughs> or cares? I <I'm> like... <laughs> It's kind of true. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because it hurts and because it's true. Yeah. 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 I I tried explaining to people about Breathless and what it is, and everybody was just like, whoever I talked to who isn't uh, interested in movies just zones out. And I, I just, it's a real conversation killer. So. I've heard from some people, uh, I've heard some people say this is like Kristen Stewart's best work. Yet, even though the film itself is not all that great, um, I'm on the clouds of Sils Maria train as far as uh, her best work. Uh, anyone, anyone else here, other than that, have a film of uh, performance of hers that they think is her best? Personal Shopper. I personal love Personal Shopper. shopper. I, I love Personal Shopper as well. That's my number two for her, definitely. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that because honestly, I, I think she's really good in Clouds and Sils Maria. I don't really like that movie very much, but. Um, I do like her performance, but I think in terms of performance and movie, I'd probably say Personal Shopper. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. One, one just... really nice thing is how well Pattinson and, and Kristen Stewart has, have done after Twilight. The interesting roles they've yeah. chosen to take. In. And, and it's between Lighthouse and this, um, gosh, what a great year for the Twilight duo. Yeah, it's, it is just unfortunate, though, that Charlie's Angels uh, did not get the reception that it um, you know, probably should have gotten at the box office, unfortunately, this opening weekend. It definitely performed under expectations, whereas Pattinson... Well, I mean, there's a reasons for that. Well, yeah, I understand. <laughs> but I was going to say, where Pattinson is going to have, you know, Batman soon, and we all know that even if Batman is shit, it's still going to make a ton of money anyway, you know? Yeah. So. I was just going to say, isn't it just odd about biopics recently that there's, you know, the main person in it is great, you know, look at Judy, but the rest of the film is just weak. Oh, yeah, no, this has been the case now, I think, for a number of years. Um, for, I, all I, the, for all the years. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, I think that this really started to really come about, like, in the 2000s. Yeah. I think we started to see this happen a lot more. Yeah, it's just it's just really frustrating because, you know, that's uh, you, well, I but want to see uh, these films do more instead of just have one central great performance yeah. and then have a cram everything into it that they well, possibly I feel like they can. Get, I, I feel like the directors or like the writers get so obsessed about making sure that lead character is perfect and spot on and honors the real person where they just don't pay as much attention to the overall story, which is heartbreaking because want, we want to see a good movie, you know, not just a great performance. It's especially frustrating when you get something like Jackie, which is fantastic all around, and everyone kind of shrugs. 
Yeah. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I mean, like, or Lincoln, on, and they say like, you know, oh, it's a snooze fest. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like that movie is like one of the best biopics yeah, I've ever I seen. I Tanya is another great example. Yeah, like that movie's got like a degree of uh, you know uniqueness about it um, in terms of the way it's shot, it's edited, and the way that story presents itself. That. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't call that a conventional biopic. But um, speaking of biopics, you know, Ford v. Ferrari is a biopic um, it, to, to a degree, right? Um, so for last week's poll, though, uh, we asked everyone which is their favorite racing film to tie into Ford v. Ferrari. We said people could choose up to three. Uh, we do have a top ten as a result. And this is what the next best picture film community chose. Okay, number ten is Herbie Fully Loaded. Yes. yes. <laughs> my people. Long live the Disney Channel. Oh my god. Which you can now watch on Disney Plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine is the best picture nominee, Sea Biscuit. Oh cute. Everyone here has seen Sea Biscuit, right? Yeah. Uh, a long time ago. I haven't watched it probably since it came out. Yeah, I remember I rented it on DVD at my local library. This was before I even had a Blu-ray player, and I remember <laughs> I watched it that way. I thought it was solid. Yeah, I think I blockbustered it. Yeah. Number eight is the documentary Senna, which if you have not seen Great that, oh, oh, please seek that one out. So good. Uh, number seven. Dan is Cool Runnings. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Number six. I love that movie so much. Number six is The Fast and the Furious. What? (laughs) Listen. The first one is good. Bianca, the MVP film community lives their lives a quarter mile at a time, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Number five is Ford v. Ferrari. Which I I agree it should be higher. I think it should be actually in the top three. But number four is the Wachowski film Speed Racer. Oh, boy, that movie. That, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with the Internet being like, oh, this is a hidden masterpiece, but it's more watchable than I think a lot of people would initially imagine. Yeah. It's in. The movie is insane. I will definitely, I will definitely conclude that that film is imaginative. That's all I'll say. It, it is. Oh, you know, the very thing, diplomatic. The thing about that movie I find is it's just too long and too convoluted of a plot. Like that movie is two hours and fifteen minutes, and if, if it had been ninety minutes and just all about racing, it would have been perfect. I agree. Yeah. I don't think the Wachowskis can make a ninety-minute picture i mean that's the other problem yeah yeah <laughs> i don't think they can do it talladega nights the ballad of ricky bobby number three yes <laughs> first your last uh, now that's a good choice yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, adam mckay oh, god and we like you <laughs> number two <laughs> number two this is the most surprising one of all uh, for me. I, I couldn't believe that this place this high, but um, number two is Disney Pixar's Cars. Oh, okay. I love this list okay. so much. <laughs> These are the nuttiest poll results of all time. <laughs> yeah. This is the best. It's perfect. Keep going. <laughs> but number one is Ron Howard's underrated film, Rush. Nice. Mm. Good. Which I... 
want to rewatch now that I've just recently rewatched uh, Ford v Ferrari and I have it fresh in my mind. I really want to put those two next to each other and I really want to like mentally make a determination as to which of those two I prefer more. Um, because I think they're both really, really solid movies. But man, oh man, do I remember loving Rush so much. So I'll be very, very curious to know which one comes out on top there. Okay, so now uh, continuing with polls. Uh, so end of the decade, uh, we're putting forward uh, more polls for that. Uh, we've done black and white films. We've done biopic films. Uh, now we are asking everyone, which is their favorite animated film of the decade? Wow, what a loaded question, right? Lots of choices to choose from here. There's Disney, there's G-Kids, there's Pixar, there's DreamWorks, Illumination. Uh, there's so many different options to go with here. And I told everyone they could choose up to 10 because even with 10, it's really hard in some cases to narrow this down, you know? Uh, but I think everyone making a top 10 of their favorite animated films of the decade is manageable. Uh, but listen, there's a lot of choices. I'm not going to make you all list off 10 here or anything like that. But if you guys want to just give a shout out to something, maybe something unconventional or whatever it is, now's the time to say. Okay, obviously, I know Frozen's going to get a really big rep here, but I will say Wrecked Ralph is oh, yeah. phenomenal. That's and it's the cutest thing. And I remember... It ha- like it came out, I think, during Hurricane Sandy, so I had literally nothing to do. So all I did was go to the movie theaters, and that's what was playing. So I think I saw it maybe like seven times, just to like do something. And I never got sick of it. It was just so cute, but smart, and it got you in the feels. And then its sequel was also really good. So I love Wreck It Ralph. It's great. How to Train Your Dragon. It was a 2010 film, mm-hmm. but damn, does it still hold up? It absolutely still holds up, and the sequels are just as good. Um, I'm going to say it right this time, Anomalisa. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't know why that film has been forgotten about. I don't know why people have not seen that movie. I can tell you why. I don't care. I mean, it's an unconventional movie for sure, but I I also love that movie. It was my favorite film of 2015. I think it is so rich in what it's talking about in terms of relationships and I adore that movie. It's one of my favorite films of the decade and definitely my pick for the best animated film. Yeah. Until Parasite, I had not given a 10 for years, but my last 10 prior to that was Inside Out. I was on the edge of my seat, the whole thing. It's so fresh, so different, and really so smart. Yeah, I'm with Tom on that one. That film means a lot to me. You can hear us review it on the Patreon a few months yeah. ago. Look at Casey and putting I... in some plugs. <laughs> Love it. I, I just want to mention Loving Vincent. Um, yeah, good choice. Such a great film. And I also want to mention your name as well yes mm-hmm. it's so wonderful and i love it so much if your I name doesn't that, make the top 10 i will i will personally cry yeah i'm yeah. i'm going to i'm going to cry and um not speak for a year so <laughs> also a happens. toy story three has to say about growing up and going on to uh, the next phase of your life uh, toy story. just kills you yeah i actually one of those people who thinks toy story three is the best of the series 
actually. Yeah, it it yeah. is. Yeah, it it's is. far and away the best of the series. Well, Toy Story two, but Toy Story two was very smart. But I just think Toy Story three had that like emotional yeah. gut punch. Oh, yeah, uh, it wrecked me. Yeah, I have not had an animated film. Uh, be my number one favorite film of a given film year going all the way back to the 90s um, but the film that came the closest this decade uh, was Zootopia it was my number two Zootopia and is so good I, I think that film is extremely smart very timely and there is mm-hmm. so much to read into it, it that I don't think that kids it, it, it will completely fly over their heads when they watch it uh, but Damn Oh Damn, was that a very well-timed film when that movie came out that it just resonated so strongly in a very political and sociological way. Yes, it's so good. Oh, and for the record, I know that it's kind of gotten diluted with the multitude of sequels, but the Lego movie is still freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. everything is, is awesome. Really good. <laughs> All right, everyone. So uh, head on over to the poll page of nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote on there. Uh, We'll have the results for you sometime next week. And then for the weekly poll, we are asking a very difficult question this week. You guys ready for this one? For a beautiful day in the neighborhood, we're asking everyone, which is your favorite Tom Hanks performance? And you can choose, choose. You, you can choose up to, I decided, five. You could choose up to five. And even then, for some people, that may not still be enough. <laughs> oh. For me, it was the unnominated captain. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm God, with you on that, Tom. So good. Those final couple of minutes that he has um, oh. are just Phenomenal. some of the best acting I think I've ever seen from anyone ever. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Yeah. Um, I also want to pay special mention to a very subdued and underrated performance that I don't think that people ever give credit to Tom Hanks for because it was also very different than anything he had previously done or even done since. Um, and that's Road to Perdition. Oh, yes. Yeah, he was he was really good in that. I mean, like I was introduced to Tom Hanks on like the old stuff. So, you know, Big and Splash were just like the highlights Splash. of my childhood, which are just the cutest things ever. Like, yes, I would love... If I was a mermaid, I would fall in love with him too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know people are going to definitely, you know, listings like Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump. you know, like the, the, yeah. the usual uh, contenders will definitely like show up. The Green Mile. Yeah, but that like like that's the one I was gonna say. Green Mile is one that I don't think ever like gets mentioned as much. And yeah. he's fantastic in that movie. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. One that I would also mention that I really love from him is um, A League of Their Own. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Classic. I have that listed here as well. Um, A friend of mine uh, growing up, one of my best friends, was obsessed with him in The Burbs. And for that reason alone, because it's actually been a running joke, um, as I've like gotten more into movies and stuff over the years, my friend always tells me, yo, man, but The Burbs is like the best movie ever made, right? And he still jokes around with me about this to this day. So for that reason, The Burbs is listed on the poll. All right. So uh, Matt Higgins, if you're listening, I know you're not. But if you were, um, that one's for you. <laughs> oh, save him, save him, Mr. Banks. Oh, yeah. Save Mr. Banks is good. I just yeah. want to just say how yeah. much I love that movie. And that um, I know that uh, Walt Disney wasn't the greatest guy ever, but 
Tom Hanks makes him really likable. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, it, I, I think more people need to see that film. And uh, uh, yeah, it's really good. Yes, I agree. It's so entertaining. All right, I, I have uh, I have two questions here. One, Sleepless in Seattle, or You've Got Mail. I love Sleepless in Seattle, but my mom yeah, really loves that Seattle. movie, and so I feel like it's like that. And when Harry Met Sally, I feel like are very special to me of that type of movie. And then so like Sleepless in Seattle is a favorite of mine. Just like I just have a lot of memories of watching that on TV with my mom. Yeah, definitely Sleepless in Seattle. I like You Got Mail, but I love Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> Uh, the Terminal or Sully? Sully. And it's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> I like The Terminal. I do. No. We haven't even mentioned I... Castaway. Can we? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Castaway. Yeah. So good. That's a major one. Castaway actually, uh, for a long, long time, and maybe still for me in some ways, Castaway might objectively be maybe his best performance for me. I don't know. Uh, that that's a tall question to ask because of just the multitude of the work that he has. Um, in terms of him playing multiple characters, Polar Express or um, Cloud Atlas. Cloud, Cloud Atlas. Atlas. <laughs> yeah, his Cloud face Atlas. is too creepy in Polar Express. Although I will admit, Polar Express continues to get a lot of airtime around Christmas in my family. It does every every year they always watch it? And I'm like, why are you guys always watching this? Like. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to get a little shout out to a movie he wrote and directed and had a small part in that thing. Yes. You yeah. That thing you do is so good. Oh, and that song is so catchy. Oh, gosh. All the music in that is so great. The Post or Bridge of Spies? Bridge of Spies, Bridge I think. Spies. Uh, that one's tough. I don't know. I'm going to say The Post. Yeah. And the thing is about The Post is I think it's Meryl's movie. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> everything that Meryl is. <laughs> no, <laughs> point well taken. <laughs> All right, Catch Me If You Can or Charlie Wilson's War? Catch, catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Before there was our go fuck yourself, there was Tom Hanks saying, just go fuck yourself and, and catch me if you can. <laughs> All right, everyone. So now, final trailer um, is the new film from Xavier Dolan. Um, this is The Death and Life of John F. Donovan, starring Kit Harrington, Natalie Portman, Jacob Tremblay, Susan Sarandon, and Ben Schnetzer. Uh, let's take a look at the trailer for this one, and let's give some thoughts here. We know how things started. He answered one of your fan letters, and then an unlikely correspondence began, etc., etc. Why don't you just back it all the way up to how things started with you and John F. Donovan? I had just turned 11. Kids at school were mocking me for being a new guy. Rupert! My mom and I, we were barely speaking anymore. All my dreams had disappeared. The only one that had survived was John. We'll get photo approval, right, Bob? Yeah, and you're getting a pony for Christmas. He, on the other hand, had everything. Fans, fame, love. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. That's the time around which some people started to wonder, was it all a lie? I wrote a letter to John F. Donovan about five years ago. It was rather foolish of me to think he would answer, but he did. 
I'm only 11 years old, but later I'll be like him, and we'll act in movies together. Rupert, you made up that story. I didn't! You lied, and you lied for years. I just didn't say anything! Did you, or did you not, write letters to that kid? Do you have a pen pal? Child pen pal, do your job. Next. You are never to write to that man again. Do you understand? So why release the letters now? It's been 12 years, and frankly, have things really changed? This is about us, as a society, what we want, what we seek. I mean, what should an artist reveal of himself? And why does it matter to us? I feel like I've done everything wrong. What if I don't belong here? What if I've stolen someone else's place? is how could you have stolen a place that was made just for you ma can i stay here tonight oh, you can stay here for the rest of your lives dear rupert I cannot think of a more singular friend. No one will understand this friendship. Until the day you want them to. Can can anyone tell me what this movie is actually about? I was just about to say. Who knows? No idea. Yeah, I thought it was just going to be lost to time because it was it. Uh, yeah, seriously. Like last year, yeah. whenever. And terrible like, reviews when it premiered. There's a trailer from like, and then didn't it come out in France already? Um, yeah, yeah, it's already been released internationally. You know what yeah. I immediately thought of when I was watching this, and this is gonna sound really, really awful, but it's so true though. Uh, I immediately like thought to myself, "This is a wanna, this is a wannabe goldfish." <laughs> And I know that this came out like before the Goldfinch and like, but I just thought the comparison was too funny. Like, I'm actually going to elevate the Goldfinch maybe potentially above this. (laughs) And the music in this trailer, what is up? It's so like inappropriate. It just doesn't work. And yeah. I was just thinking, I, I tried to see if there was another trailer that I could find without the music because it was so distracting. I can't imagine anyone going to the movies and say, let's sit down and watch a movie where a movie <laughs> star writes an 11-year-old. Ugh. Yeah, so I've weird. actually uh, seen this movie. Uh, oh, 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 shit. I'm not going to reveal how I saw it, but I, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And it is, it, this trailer is very much uh, representative of how much this movie does not really commit to a particular story very well. And it's, I don't think it's terrible, but it is very disorganized in its storytelling. And that's basically a Xavier Dolan film to a T. Yeah. And I like Xavier Dolan. I think he could be very talented, but I feel like he never really gets a good grasp on the type of movie that he wants to what make. He wants and I to say. Yeah. And I think this one is like, it's not as bad as um, It's Only the End of the World. I will say that. But it is very disorganized. And there's good elements in it, but they never really come together that well. 
Damn, I wasn't expecting that. Okay, Josh. <laughs> um, if you want a good laugh, watch the clip of Xavier Dolan winning at Cannes and him crying, yep. and it immediately cuts to Mads Mikkelsen just being like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm... I... I, 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 I'm, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's an appropriate response. That's a good, yeah. yeah. I do, I do like the fact though that Kit Harrington's in it. So, you know. Oh, he's such a pretty boy. I don't like the fact that Kit Harrington's in it because I want him to have a career outside of Thrones no, and this true. is not yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go through that phase where all these young Game of Thrones actors are going to try to, you know, branch out, you know, with Amelia Clark doing Last Christmas and now Kit doing this. So uh, I'm going to quote Bob Odenkirk in Longshot again. You know, only two actors have ever made the jump from television to film. Woody Harrelson, George Clooney, and well, that's pretty much it. <laughs> And that's like that's still kind of sort of ish holds true, you know. It is very hard, isn't it? It's yeah. Hard, especially yep. when you've been in a show like Game of Thrones for so yeah. long, and so that's big. all anyone's ever gonna know you as. I mean, look at Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston's like gotten the the greatest reviews of like anyone I know of on television for uh, Breaking Bad, and even he, I think, has struggled to carve out an identity for himself in the film world since then. Same with like John Hamm. Yeah. 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 John Hamm's not a leading leading guy in Hollywood, which is like amazing, you know, when you think about it. Yeah. He's just a supporting guy in like everything. <laughs> anyway, uh, death and life of John F. Donovan. Um, hey, Josh, is there a reason why it's the death and life, not the life and death? Uh, well, the movie starts with um, his death. So you get news about that first and then it like goes into flashbacks with his life and this relationship that he has with like the, this, the letters between him and the Jacob Trombley character. And it, it, it gets very like broad at a certain point in its story. And that to me is the biggest problem with it. I think that a lot of the actors do their best with the material, but it just is so sprawling that it never focuses on anything in particular to make it really effective. Who's best in show? Um, I would probably say that actually Kathy Bates has a really supporting role in the film as, um, uh, Kit Harrington's manager. And she kind of has like no nonsense <laughs> for him at all. And there's one scene where she basically like drops him because of all the personal stuff that's going on with him. And it's really effective. And I would say that probably is the one time that it really worked for me. Um, Susan Sarandon is also pretty good in it too, but Unfortunately, just all the actors don't have that much to hold on to in terms of really having good characters to work with. And that's the most unfortunate thing about it. Mm. And I heard that this film, you know, changed a lot because Jessica Chastain was supposed to have, you know, a hefty role in yeah. this. And yeah. It was also cut completely, completely cut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So that could also play a role into the it being uneven. Yeah. And it's a shame because I do like. Xavier Dolan. I think that he's a really interesting filmmaker, and I'm always fascinated by whatever he's working on, but I do feel like pretty much everything since Mommy has just really struggled to connect with people, and I really do find that to be a shame. Yeah, and Mommy was so good. Yeah, like... That's one of the best he, of the decade. Like, from those first couple movies, like, um, what was his first one? I Killed My Mother and Heartbeats. Like, Heartbeats I also yeah, really love. Yeah, Heartbeats is great, yeah. I love that movie. So he's got films in there that I have a lot of affection for, but just lately it's... 
been just one misfire after another. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty, or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Okay, uh, so now uh, what I want to do is this. I want to just touch upon uh, two very, very quick things, uh, and then we'll answer fan questions. Uh, but two quick things to this. Critics' Choice Association uh, announced their winners this past week for the best in documentary uh, for 2019. Apollo 11 swept pretty much almost the entire evening winning all the awards it was nominated for with the exception of i think i think it was two um if i remember correctly it won for uh best documentary feature um it also won for best editing it won for best score um i mean like it 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 had a really 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 good evening overall uh best director did however go to peter jackson for they shall not grow old which is not going to be eligible for this year's best documentary race because it was eligible last year and the tie uh also went to uh american factory as well um that very much is netflix's major pony in the best documentary race this year and there was a little bit of uh buzz in the room when it won best director of that uh-oh Looks like the Obamas are going to win, uh, you know, best documentary feature. Uh, but Apollo 11 did pull it out in the end. Uh, previous winners at the Critics' Choice Awards for uh, documentary the last two years include Jane and Won't You Be My Neighbor, two big steamrollers in the season that also did not get a nomination from the Academy for Best Documentary Feature. Do we think the trend is going to continue now with Apollo 11? Is there a kiss of death, if you will? <laughs> very likely. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, very yeah. likely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's a completely two different voting bodies. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Yeah. Apollo 11 is that movie where if it gets nominated, it's winning, but it has to get nominated first. And I am not confident at all because it has everything that the documentary branch usually hates and that is especially the use of archival footage they just don't like that with these types of movies that they want to nominate okay and then the second thing also um while we you know kind of sift through the best documentary feature race we'll see what the critics do in the next coming weeks uh the makeup artist and hairstylist guild announced their nominees um this was our first guild uh of the year so this was uh, pretty exciting, especially considering that the makeup branch uh, this year um, is going to be nominating five films instead of the traditional three, which I am so, so happy about. Thank you, Lord. Or as Ang Lee said when he won Best Director, thank you, Movie God, mm-hmm. for making this happen. Now let's continue to get some other rules uh, implemented by the Academy. But yes, five nominees for me- Best Makeup this year. Um, so the Guild has chimed in. Uh, we've got Avengers Endgame in there. We've got Bombshell in there. Um, we've got Downton Abbey, Joker, Irishman, Rocket Man. I mean, there were a lot of things thrown in the mix here. But I think this is a good place to start. If you're looking toward what could be nominated for makeup, potentially, um, this is a good place to start looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Judy is not here. Mm-hmm. You know what is here? Uh, we've got Dolomite is my name is here. 
Uh, we've got John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, which I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, John Wick is a Guild nominee? Yeah. You know? Yay. Exactly. Freaking awesome. Us showed up here as well, uh, which was pretty cool. Yes, that's a great nomination. And here's something that we maybe should be considering, and I understand everyone. I get it. It will be for the wrong reasons, but the laundromat did get a nomination. Uh Oh, (laughs) that's not good. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I would love it though if Dolomite got an Oscar nomination yeah. for makeup and hairstyling because that especially the hair design work in that movie is so good. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna say Suicide Squad did win an Oscar, so you know. Yeah, yeah. don't remind us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some things that didn't show up here that I was also very surprised about as well is I'm very surprised that the Aeronauts uh, didn't show up. Um, that was one that uh, I thought had really phenomenal makeup and hairstyling, but I don't know. Maybe that movie's going to be dead in the water. It, it does seem very, very likely that Bombshell is going to just probably run away with the category all season long, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would hope not. It seems so. I mean, I know the makeup is impressive just by watching the trailer, but it would be like – a another movie that's taking you know makeup to real life people and i just seems like we've already had enough of that in the category i would hope for some more variety yeah darkest hour vice and then this would be three years in a row yeah that just doesn't excite me too much okay fan questions uh let's answer some fan questions let's take her home uh first up two peas on a pod asks what chances does willem dafoe have for his performance in the lighthouse i have him predicted i don't really think anyone cares what i think though because i love that performance so much and i am hoping against hope right now so from someone a little bit more practical uh what do you guys think well you know matt i'm gonna tell you this i have been one of the people that have been very skeptical about it, even though I also love that performance and think he should be nominated. I am actually warming up a little bit to the idea that he could sneak in. If sort of like with uh, Alfre Woodard, what needs to happen is you need to get him in front of people and just have him talking about like his craft and his performance. And that will resonate with people. Cause if just watching interviews of him promoting the lighthouse are just so fun. Cause he just, is such a warm and friendly presence to talk uh, to talk with, and it might happen because of that. But I still think it's a long shot. But I'm giving him a little bit more of an opportunity now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Daniel B asks us biggest hopes for the rest of the film year that we have an unpredictable Oscar race. Yes. Yes. Different that's winners awesome. each ceremony. Some excitement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say that. Uh, I was just going to say that Cats turns out to be good. That yeah, I, that's exactly what I was going <laughs> to say, B. <laughs> like, that would be the biggest surprise. Mine is actually kind of somewhat tied to that a little bit. Um, my biggest hope uh, for the rest of the film year is that the Star Wars fandom doesn't rip each other apart. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. I really want Rise of Skywalker to be great. I all, I want us all to be aligned that it's great. And I want us all to just sing hands and you know, hug each other and smile and be happy. Like the ending of us. That's so optimistic That's of you. I, yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, it's the biggest hope, right? Am I not answering the question? Yeah. <laughs> but film Twitter doesn't do kumbaya. Yeah. No. And Star Wars fandom does even less kumbaya. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all righty. So 
Isaiah Washington uh, has two questions here that I uh, will ask. If Ford v. Ferrari gets a Best Picture uh, nomination, can it give The Irishman a run for its money in Best Film Editing? Oh, I think it's likely. Mm-hmm. I think so. Like, I still have Ford v. Ferrari in my Best Picture predictions right now. Me too. It, it had a great opening weekend box office-wise, so people are seeing it. An A-plus cinema score, too. Yeah, that's crazy. I think... I still think it's going to be The Irishman, even if it got the Best Picture nomination. But I will definitely uh, argue that it is number two with or without the Best Picture nomination. Yeah. yeah. See, the thing about the editing category for me is that I still feel like it goes to movies where it's most editing yes. a lot of the times. And as good as The Irishman is at keeping a really good pace – it's not really editing that you notice a whole lot. And I wonder about that in terms of it winning that category. And you take a look at something like 4B Ferrari, which is much stronger in a, you know, much more in your face editing showcase. I wonder if that will be more enticing to voters than the Irishman will. It's a good point. Um, his second question is after its premiere at AFI, could Queen and Slim be a possible contender in the best original song category for guarding the gates? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that movie's going to be big. I do too. And that and category been... itself is crazy. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually just glad that I'm finally able to talk about that movie, actually. Um, and yes, I, I do think that movie is going to have a very big, 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 big push for it um, from, from the audience. Um, I have a feeling it's going to make bank at the box office. I really do. And uh, positive reviews from people certainly help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Ooh, okay. Siam underscore boys underscore 1988 asks, what would have been the biggest surprise? What would be the biggest surprise if he or she can get into any of the uh, acting categories uh, this year? Uh, he gives some choices. Jody Turner Smith for Queen Slim. Paul Walter Hauser for Richard Jewell. What what do we think here in terms of like what would be considered a quote unquote surprise? Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. 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 So uh, here's how I'm gonna here's how I'm gonna define this really quick. <laughs> I, I want to just I want to add a little bit like a little bit of an asterisk. Um, when I think of a surprise acting nominee, I'm thinking of someone who didn't show up at BFCA Golden Globe Critics. Uh, sorry, uh, BFCA Golden Globe, <laughs> SAG or BAFTA. I'm thinking of uh, Marina De Tavira last year or Jonah Hill for The Wolf of Wall Street. Well, I mean, in that case, it's way too early to tell because yeah. it's hard to tell how um, all of those awards bodies are going to vote. Right. You know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to be weird and interesting. Well, you know, somebody that I think would probably bypass most of those but show up at the Oscars is Song Kang Ho. Yeah. Agreed. That mm-hmm. could be, yeah. And very deserving. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, due to, uh, this one's from Scott Kernan. Uh, due to the success of Ford v. Ferrari and Joker, do you see the guild, specifically PGA, WGA, DGA, due to the change in schedule going for films that on Oscar nomination morning may not be as nominated? For example, Todd Phillips gets a DGA nomination or maybe no. Ford gets a WGA nomination, but they don't get no. the corresponding Oscar nomination. No. I mean, <laughs> I don't think Phillips is getting a DGA nomination. I... I do think that 4v Ferrari could do very well with the guilds. Um, I like. I but don't think lighting. Like, 
I think it could get in for, for WGA. I'm not exactly writing that up. Because you have to remember, WGA also has a ton of disqualifications. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. true. I would not be surprised if Joker got a WGA nomination with that exact same, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And WGA has shown that they are more willing to accept comic book movies than other groups are. I don't know that they'd go with this comic book movie, though. Well, I'm a WGA but, voting member, and I'm not voting for it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's just from horse's mouth, everybody. <laughs> uh, this one comes from V. A R C H C T V V R V R K. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, or via whatever. That's how you say it on Twitter. Um, what's your take on the Oscars banning Nigerian film Lionheart from qualifying for Best International Feature Film? It's annoying as fuck. <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, yeah. The, the, but the thing is, is that like they announced all the shortlisted films and then announced, well, this one is disqualified. I mean, but they knew. Like, you know, before that's announced that like, this film is in English. Yeah. So, like, I mean, the controversy yeah. is entirely on their own shoulders. And I think that's the bigger problem. I mean, I mean, it's a problem to begin with that there are countries like Nigeria that is a very fledgling, you know, film industry compared to the rest of the world that is, you know, not going to get acknowledged. But English is their official language, so they can just never get in unless they, you know, film it in some other language, which they might be disqualified for because it's it's considered not enough of a Nigerian film, you know? like it, I, I do want to say something, though, that I understand that there's a lot of frustration with these disqualifications, and, and I get it. I certainly do. I think, however, it's important to remember that the rules for this category did not change with the name change yeah. for the category. It is still, yeah. they still say that a movie needs to be majority yeah. non-English. They don't even, because it used to be even stricter than what it is now. It just is like more than 50% needs to not be in English. And like, that's still the rules of the category. And I get that there's frustration that it seems to limit these other movies, but it, that rule has also opened up other countries that where the official language is English that are submitting movies now too. And I, I agree that this category is probably always going to be in a status of reform. And this is another thing to maybe look into, but I don't necessarily agree with this being a all out terrible decision to, to disqualify this movie because that's the rules of the category yeah, that have yeah. been there for a while now. Yeah. You should know that going in. Yeah, um, but I, the, think the, I think the best suggestion I saw was from Guy Lodge in Variety, who said, "Change the name again and call it Best Film Not in the English Language." Period. Yeah, which is what the BAFTA. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, or the best thing to do would be to before you announce all the films that are being submitted, you say to the country, "Sorry, this film does not meet the requirements." Yeah, pick another one. Yeah. Last question. This one comes from Colby told me on Twitter. How much does a theatrical audience elevate or deflate a film's reception for you? Should it? How does that factor into films a film's reception for a streaming only viewing? What? I, I think what he's asking is the communal experience of being in a theater and watching a movie with an audience versus watching it alone at home on streaming 
And like, does that um, audience vibe, the reaction, if you will, does that ever play into um, your love or distaste or just overall feelings on a movie? Oh, absolutely. It can. Yeah, it definitely can, yeah. Yeah. I think Parasite's one of the best theatrical movies to watch this year because of that, actually. Yeah, it's that movie-going experience. There could be good movies, but, like, there's that phenomenal movie-going experience that can definitely make your viewing of the film. Because, like, I know... I remember seeing Infinity War and it was just an incredible vibe of people. Everyone was cheering, everyone was laughing and having that communal experience and Mm -hmm. having the shared experience with all these other people at the same time going through the same emotional trajectory as you are. It's a very powerful thing. And it's one of the reasons why we love cinema. Yeah. I I think Parasite's a great example because halfway through when the tone changes, I, in, in, both the audiences that I've seen, there was a gasp, an audible gasp. Right. Where it was going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. would also even say, like, even with the Oscar <laughs> race, I also find that how an audience reacts to a movie can be very telling as well. Because I remember last mm-hmm. year, the two movies that I saw that had the biggest audience reactions as I was watching it were uh, Avengers Infinity War and Green Book. Yeah, Those were by same far here. like the yeah. biggest reactions that I saw in theaters. And that was something that I just felt like I could not discount in the Oscar race. And that's something else to maybe take into account going forward when you're watching a movie in a theater. And even if maybe you're not that into it, if you can kind of pick up on that vibe of what the audience has given the film, that can be very telling as well. I agree. Um, and yeah, those were definitely the two big ones for me. Uh, last year as well, Josh, and it should have been a clue, you know? It really should have been for all of us. <laughs> well, for all of you. Oh, excuse me, excuse Ooh. me. <laughs> I only got so much time left on, on bragging rights for this, I'm going to take it as long as I can. You should, rightfully so, <laughs> rightfully so. All right, everyone, well, that'll put a cork in uh, episode 168 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Uh, Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Bianca Gardner. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Film B, and also over at In Their Own League as well. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at Jr Parham. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Lauren Lamagna. You can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. And Tom O'Brien. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. I want to sneak one more thing in quickly. A TV note on Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday, the 19th of November, um, For Sama is showing on <gasps> yes. Yes. Oh, Go. it's so good. Please it's so good. see it. Wait, and where's it you showing? Notice. It's on PBS's Frontline. All right. Very good. Awesome. Oh, the movie is so good. So, yeah, everyone definitely listen to Tom on that one and see it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone, and you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to episode 168 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.